I had this attitude, you know, where I thought the neighbors had called the cops, and I was basically just cussing out the neighbors to the cop about them minding their own business. And the cop told me, he said, the call to 911 came from your house. There was uh, a little girl. And that was uh, when I realized that it was my daughter, Alyssa, that called, and she was six years old. And uh, it broke my heart. After the police left, uh, it was then that uh, I asked Danae for a divorce or we find God because I just had given up at that point. Because I always wanted to be a good parent. I always wanted to be a good husband. I had all these good intentions, but they weren't good enough to make me what I wanted to be. So I realized then that no matter what I tried, no matter who I got advice from, my friends, my parents, you know, anybody, you know, that wasn't a Christian, uh, it wasn't going to work. And so I made up my mind that day and I asked God, if you made me and you made my wife and you made marriage, I want to do marriage the way you say do it. And that was when I realized a need for God in my life. And going to church, I know I've realized that the sinner that I am, and I've realized that uh, God has a purpose to mold me to be more like Christ. And so I, it's important that I stay in, in, in the Bible. I have to read it every day or I'm going to do the old things that I used to do. Anybody who knew me and my wife before uh, we got in church and before I accepted Christ as my Lord, uh, you, you can see that's a statement that in itself, that it's all that needs to be said. You know that there's something different you know, about us. I was the farthest thing from a good husband. And, uh, and, and I know the circumstances at the time looked uh, in my eyes to be impossible. I mean, I literally had hateful thoughts of my wife. I mean, I just, I mean, I didn't like her. I didn't want to be in the same room with her. And if you would have told me then that I would have a marriage like I have today, I would have called you a liar. Uh, and so when you come before, I think it keeps, we listen to the lies of people around us and, and the lies of Satan thinking that we're not worthy enough. We're not, you're not ever going to be good enough. Uh, but when you commit to do the will of God, I mean, when you just give your life to God, uh, he can do things, you know, uh, above and beyond your wildest dreams. And he did it in my case, you know, he gave me a, a, a marriage that, uh, that, uh, I love to be in a marriage that, uh, uh, that, uh, to me, honors um, God by uh, by the the love that we have for one another. And I mean, I would, that was a, I would have never thought that possible. It, I see it all the time. You know, I see people struggling in marriage and <laughs> in their marriage, and I I trust God enough even now, not that He would even heal the wounds in my marriage, but that that uh, that He could use us also to to reach out. Uh, and and all I got to do is just tell them where what we did, tell them where to go to have the power to, to, to be healed. Uh, and that's all I want to do. I, I, I don't want to, there's no way I could not share that with someone. Uh, and when I see people, uh, struggling in their marriages to me now, looking back, uh, I realize how futile their efforts are, uh, when they don't seek the answer in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so I, I cannot just sit by and not say anything. I want to tell them, I want to show them, uh, and I especially want to tell him, you know, though you think it's impossible that, you know, all things are possible in, in Jesus Christ. Today, we're in our third week of our series, Life's Healing Choices. 
Some of you are asking the question, why would we even have a, a series called Life's Healing Choices? Well, um, that's because all of us are messed up on one level or another, right? All of us are messed up. Now, how many of you would say, the person sitting next to me is messed up? How many of you say that? Oh, yeah, yeah, right? All of us are messed up. And, and I just got to tell you that some of us in this room have actually skipped over the messed up level and we've kind of catapulted our lives all the way up to the whacked out level, which is just below the nut job level. I mean, there's a lot of pain here in, in our church. And, and I don't know if you've realized this, but pain is the great equalizer. Walk into any emergency room and, and you'll see pain on the faces of, of people there. The last time I was at our local ER, I noticed that there were, there were people of every age range there. There were people of, of, of different races, of different religious affiliations. There were folks, um, different socioeconomic levels. Pain brought us all into this wonderful little waiting room. And, you know, you're all looking like, are they worse off than me? And, you know, last time I was there, I had this big old gash on my leg and, and had a gash in my arm. And, and people keep coming in. I'm going, darn, they're worse than me. Darn, they're worse than me. You know, because it's going to be forever until I get to go in and, and get helped. But the thing that I noticed was pain brings us all together. And you start talking to people and, and well, how'd you get here? And you see kids that are messed up. And then you see somebody that's really hurt. They come in and pain, physical pain is going to happen to all of us. It's the great equalizer. But have you also noticed that, that emotional pain is very real and, and folks have it everywhere you go? Let me just ask you a question. If you've had emotional pain in your life, raise your hand. Now, hold them up, hold them up, look around. Look around. There's a lot of pain in here. And I want you to see this is a place where you need to come if you've got pain. This is what we want you to tell everybody you meet that's hurting. This is a place for you. This is a safe place for you. And, and if you're a visitor today, there's some visitors been coming. I, I just want you to know that we're a family here, but we are a nut job family. All right. We are messed up. We know it. We love each other anyway. We're trying uh, to come closer to Christ. And we know that as we open up our lives to Christ, he's going to change us. But the reality is we are messed up. And we're messed up together and we love each other. Now, a lot of times um, people try to hide their pain. I've discovered that humans are really good at hiding their pain, at disguising it. And, and a lot of times what we'll do is we will develop these really harmful habits. And these habits are really our attempt to quiet or to deaden the pain. It's, a, it's an attempt to medicate the emotional pain that I have in my life. And a lot of times we look at these habits in ourselves or in other people and we say, oh, well, that's just a character weakness. You know, that bad habit, that, they just have a character weakness, that bad habit. I want to suggest something to you different today. Maybe that bad habit is not a character weakness. Maybe that bad habit is an attempt to, to deaden some pain. And what we do is we focus on this, this whole bad habit thing, and, and we think we have to change the habit. And what we do is, instead of dealing with the root cause, which is hurt, which is screaming out, I'm hurting! We change this bad habit and we just substitute another habit for it. And we run around changing habits instead of getting to the root cause, which is our pain. And so I want to suggest today that maybe we need to deal with the pain and that will result in a different life. And the good news that I have for you today is God sent Jesus Christ to show us how to be healed from our past. Jesus Christ loves us so much that not only did He die for us, in His very first sermon, He broke down the healing process into eight bite-sized choices 
that you and I can make to be radically changed and be free from our past. Choices that Jason and Danae made that have changed them from four years ago to the people that they are today. And so three weeks ago, we said the very first choice that you've got to make is you've got to realize, you've got to admit that you aren't God. I'm not God. You're not God. We are messed up people. That means we can't be God because God's not messed up. That's choice one. Choice two is I've got to earnestly believe that God exists. So step one, choice one is I'm messed up. Choice two is, yes, I'm messed up, but I'm loved. And there is one who has enough power to change me. That's my higher power. And my higher power has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. That's good news. But if you stop at choice one and choice two, you will never be healed from your past. The first two choices are all about head knowledge. Acknowledging something that's real, but it's all about head knowledge. Head knowledge never healed anyone from their past. Satan even believes he's not God and that God is all-powerful. And look where it got him. So head knowledge is not enough. If you are going to be changed from your past, if you're going to get healed from your past, this third choice is critical. And really, the next five weeks build on whether or not you make this choice. And here it is. I consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Now, we're in the third beatitude. Um, this is a, a series of blessings. Jesus said, happy are, fulfilled are people who do these things. All right. So this is in Matthew chapter five. And so we're at verse five. And here's what he says. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Okay. I want you to read that with me. It's real short. We're going to read it twice. I'm trying to make sure you get this in your head. Ready? Here we go. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. One more. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, we read that, and you hear that, and you go, yeah, what's the big deal? Well, you got to understand Jesus' audience of that day. Jesus goes up and sits down on a mountain, and he starts to preach. And, and there's large crowds there, and the people who are in the crowd are these spiritually prideful people, very proud of their heritage. These are the Jews. They know the Old Testament. Most of the men can quote uh, good portions, if not every bit of the Old Testament. They knew the law. They knew all of the prophets. They knew this stuff. And they knew that in the Old Testament, whenever God showed up and empowered His people, they wiped everyone off of uh, their land and they became these proud rulers. And so when they're looking for a Messiah, they're looking for a Messiah who's going to come and, and kick the rears of the evil Romans. That's who they're looking for. And, and Jesus says, no. I'm bringing a spiritual revolution. They're looking for a physical revolution. Jesus said, I'm bringing a spiritual revolution. And he says, happy are the meek, blessed are the meek. You can have a full life if you're meek. And they're like, we don't want meekness. We want power. We want machismo. We don't want this meek Jesus Messiah. We want brave heart. We want Jesus to paint his face blue and yell, freedom! And everybody will rally around him because the Jews know that you, do, you don't conquer land by being meek. You conquer land by standing up, beating your chest, going out against Goliath, the giant, the Philistines, whipping their tails. That's how you do it. And Jesus said, that's not the battle I'm coming to fight. Braveheart's great. Love the movie. But Jesus says, I'm meek. So we're going to try to understand what it means to be meek. Blessed are the meek. Now, you got to understand, Jesus is always teaching to large crowds. 
And the way that they would do this, in this particular instance, he's up on this mountain and there's a valley and a lot of people can hear Jesus. But if you've got thousands and thousands of people, they didn't have sound amplification like we do today. And so Jesus would teach and he would stop and, you know, somebody about halfway back in the crowd, 100 yards back or something, they would turn and they would tell the other people what he said and then it would just go on until all of the crowd gets it. And or at least here's what was said. But I think a lot of times they don't get it. They don't understand it. Now, I don't know if any of you are Monty Python fans. There's some funny stuff about Monty Python. There's some some not so funny stuff. But in the life of Brian, they kind of have a scene where Jesus is teaching and they've got these people in the crowd and they're they're yelling it out. And and, uh, they didn't quite get it because Jesus teaching is going and and Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, which is another one of these things in Matthew chapter five. And one guy goes, what's so special about cheesemakers? It's not to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturer of dairy products. Okay, just making sure you got it. All right. They didn't get it back then. Monty Python doesn't get it. But I think a lot of people in 2009 don't get it. Blessed are the meek. Or maybe we do get it and we just don't like it. We don't like this meek attitude because it kind of sounds weak. It it rhymes with weak and we think that that's what it means. It feels kind of mousy. Guys, when you were growing up and you were playing sports, did, did your coach ever yell at you and say, get in there and I want you to be gentle as a dove. I want you to go after that quarterback and I want you to nurture him. Did you ever hear that one? Me either. It was switch gears and you need to be a machine. You know, you know what that's like. But if you're a follower of Christ, he says that meekness isn't optional. So let's figure out what this meek word means and maybe we'll understand it better and we can apply it. The original term uh, in the Greek language is uh, praeus, which has different level of meanings. Now, if you have a, a translation of the Bible, almost all English translations of the Bible translate this word as humble or gentle. And that's the surface level meaning. But the cool thing about Greek, and I think it's one of the reasons that the New Testament, God had it uh, recorded, the original language, the original manuscripts were in Greek, was because there was always a word picture associated with it. Same thing with Hebrew and Aramaic for the Old Testament. New Testament was in Greek. And you would say these words to the Greeks, they would always have something in mind. Now, what they would have in mind was a deeper meaning, and that's where I want us to go today. In the Greek, the word was used to describe a huge animal that had been tamed. Wild spirit was broken by a trainer. Now, why in the world would you want to break the spirit of some wild animal so that it becomes useful? Ding, 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 ding. You and I have got to be broken by our heavenly trainer before we're useful in the kingdom of God. Now, I've got some questions. Do you know people who have potential to do great things for God, but they never reach that potential? It's because they're not broken. Do you know people who used to be useful in the kingdom of God, but they're no longer useful in the kingdom of God? It's because they're not broken. God's rules are you got to be broken. you got to be tamed. This big, powerful stallion has got to be tamed because when it's out of control, it's going to hurt people. It's going to mess people up. You look at our lives. That's, that's so many people in our society. They're out of control. They're not broken. They're hurting themselves. But even worse, they're destroying people around them because of their selfish choices. And God says, not in my kingdom, not if you want to be healed by me. You've got to turn your life over to me, be broken by me, and then you become useful. So the idea, you may want to jot this down, meekness means, here's the definition of meekness, strength under control. 
big old stallion that can run wild, that can jump fences, that pulls plows through, bro- through dirt and breaks it up so that you can plant. That big old stallion is stronger than the person who's back there guiding him. But once he's been broken, he's useful. And God says, Jesus says, blessed, happy, satisfied are you when you're broken, when your strength has come under his control, because then you're useful in his kingdom. And really this whole spirit of meekness is actually the spirit of Jesus Christ residing in you. Look at 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. Jesus who suffered for you is your example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned and he never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Jesus not only said, blessed are the meek, he demonstrated blessed, happy, fulfilled are the meek. And throughout the Bible, I dare you to find this. Someone who's used by God is a meek person. Meekness always wins with God. And even Moses in the Old Testament, Big Mo, the great leader, the writer of the first five books of the Old Testament, the one who shepherded the people of Israel out of Egypt, Big Mo, look what it says about him in Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very what? What? more than all men that were on the face of the earth. Meekness is what separated Moses from every other human being in the the people of Israel. And God said, that's who I want. Now, if you know the story of Moses, he wasn't always meek. He killed a man because he was just trying to impose his will on him. He had to go out in the wilderness. It cost him 40 years of his life. But then when Jesus came to him in the burning bush, then... Moses was the most meek man on the face of the planet. And God said, that's my man. Because now his strength is under control. And see, that's what meekness is all about. The reason God wants you meek, God doesn't want you weak. There's no such thing. Find Jesus Christ teaching. You find him in the scriptures. You you picture what he was. Jesus was not weak. He had strength. Because he said, didn't you know I could have called 12 legions of angels? My father would have sent them and they would have wiped you suckers out. But he said, no, I had to do what my father wanted me to do. So Jesus, who has all power, gets it under the control of his father. And what happens is you and I can have a way to not only be healed from our sins, healed from our past, but to have a future in heaven. That's incredible to me. You see, true freedom is found in choosing who controls you. You are going to be controlled by something. Something or someone will control you. And if you want to be free... You choose Jesus Christ. Everything else leads you to bondage. This commitment choice is all about stepping across the line of faith and declaring your intentions. It's a decision followed by a process. The first decision is, I'm going to commit all of my life to God. That's taking a step towards God and away from the way you've always done things. I'm moving towards God and away from doing things by myself. And what we're talking about today is the most important choice in your life. So I'm going to ask you, if, if you are distracted, if you're wanting to distract someone else, now's the time to get up and leave. Because you could keep someone from coming to Christ, and I will not have it. So I'm just telling you right now, now's the time to decide whether you're going to listen or not. Because I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to answer to Him. No one's leaving? Let's move on. Here is how you make this commitment. Here's how you declare your intentions. I'm sick of people claiming to be followers of Christ 
who are pansies. You declare your intentions. Here's the first one. Accept God's Son as my Savior. you got to admit that you're messed up, that you're a sinner, and you ask God to forgive your sins. Look what it says in Acts chapter 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And all that means is I commit as much of my life as I know about right now. I commit as much as I can to as much as I know of God. That's salvation. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's saying, here I am, God, take me, use me. And it means I commit my life to Him. Look what it says. Here's the promise of God. If you just say that, if you just say, God, I'm moving towards you, here's the promise of God. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. When I accept Christ, I'm adopted into a new family. Yes, God knows all about my past. He knows all about being arrested. He knows all about pornography in my past. He knows all of that stuff. And He says, I love you enough that if you'll just step towards me, I'll accept you in. And the Bible says that you can know that you have eternal life. I talk to people all the time who say, and I say, you know, tell me about your church background. Oh, well, I used to go to church and I believe in God. Well, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Well, I don't know. I had some people stand at my door one time. I said, do you know if you die tonight, you'll go to heaven? Well, you can't know that. Excuse me. God's Word says in 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Now, the witness is this. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. So when I accept Him, I become a child of God. I have a new life. I am a new creation. There are six billion creations of God. When you're born, you are a creation of God. But when you are born again, is what the Bible says, when you accept Christ, you become a child of God. You are in a different category when you become a child of God. Number two, you accept God's Word as my standard. So the first thing is you choose God's Son. You choose your identity. Second thing is you choose God's Word as your standard. The Bible is not just some ancient history book. Anybody who tells you that this book is irrelevant has not read it. I've never seen a more relevant book. You struggling with adultery? It's in here. You struggling in your business? Someone stabs you in the back? That's in here both literally and figuratively. There's all kinds of stories of people betraying other people in the Bible and how God heals them from that. It's in there. You just got to have it as your standard. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Maybe the reason you're so screwed up in your life is you're ignoring the manual. Just a thought. Third, you've got to accept God's will as my purpose. I've got to choose God's will as my purpose. And this, these next two verses are very instructive. Psalm 48, this is, this is David, King David. He's writing this psalm. Psalm 48, he says, My God, I want to do what you want. And then look, look what he says. Your teachings are in my heart. David says, I can't even know what you want me to do apart from your word. If I don't choose your word as my standard, there's no way I can know your will. Because 95% of what God wants you to do is right here. 95% in your life. Now, he doesn't tell you specifically who to marry. That's not in there. You're not going to find that in the index. 
Doug Washburn marries Janie Gardner. No, it's not in there. Because God says, if you'll do the other 95%, I'll give you the mind of Christ and show you. The way that I chose Janie, very simple. I dated several girls. The last four girls I dated before Janie wanted to get married. They told me about the rings they wanted. They told me about the diamonds they wanted in those rings. We would stop when we're in the mall and look at rings. And in my heart, I'm going, run away, run away, run away. Because it just freaked me out. Commitment freaked me out. And so I finally broke up with this girl that, that I had been dating. She was wanting to get married. And I said, God, I'm just tired of this deal. I want to know. I want to know somebody who's pursuing you. And this is what we tell singles all the time. If you want to know who to marry, you start following God. And as you follow God, you look around and you see other people who are following God. That's your choice of who to marry. Don't get some loser out there on the side of the road. What kind of marriage do you expect? Now, by the way, we love losers. We want you to come. I just don't want you to marry my daughter until you get right with Christ. Does that make sense? Because I've got to see you at Thanksgiving. I've got to see you at Christmas. You need to be a Christ follower so I don't kill you if you mess with my daughter. I mean, come on, this, is just, this just makes sense. And you can't know God's will unless you are in God's Word. Look at the next verse, one forty-three, Psalm 143.10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. If your life seems like you're not on firm footing, I don't know how many of you have climbed mountains and different stuff like that, but we've, we've done that. We went out to uh, uh, Wolf Creek Lake several weeks ago, actually several months ago, and you know there's a waterfall out there, and we're climbing around. And, and you've got to be careful out there because some of it's very slippery. And so we would, we would get our feet in the right place, and then you know we would help each other along. You want to have firm footing when you're going along that path because you could fall off. Nobody's going to find you out there. EMS is going to take a long time because they're going to have to come out, park at that little, the, the dam of, of Wolf Creek Lake, and then they're going to have to wander down through there and find, it's going to take, you're going to die by the time they get there. So you want to be on firm footing. If your life is not on firm footing today, it's because you're not following God. You are living your life for you. And I can tell you, in the Christian life, there's highs and there's valleys. There's ups and there's downs. But even when we were struggling to even know whether this church was going to survive, struggling because they couldn't pay us, we were struggling. We still knew we were on solid ground because we said, I'd always said, God, you're the source of my income, not any church. And then that was severely tested because this church couldn't pay us. And God provided. And so even though we were wondering where it was going to come from, always someone provided. And so we can look back and we say, God was carrying us on firm footing, even though we were in the valley. We, sh we thought of the shadow of death, as it says in Psalm 23. If you'll quit living your life for you, God will give you a firm footing. So I challenge you to pray this. God, I don't even understand who you are. I don't understand everything. But I'm willing to put it all on the line to try something different because my way isn't working. Number four, you got another choice to make. Choose to accept God's power as my strength. You no longer have to rely on your strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything God asked me to with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power. Now, choosing this path we're talking about today, 
determines the folks who get healed and the folks who stay stuck in their sorry lifestyles. Choosing this path today determines those people who grow to be more like Christ and those people who are irrelevant Christians 50 years from now. And you have to choose to commit, but you choose to recommit every day. So that first picture there, Ashley. Who's that? Don't know. He's got hair. Caleb, yeah. 18 years ago, I stood at First Baptist Colleyville. My brother was doing the, the wedding. I almost said funeral. No way. Freudian slip. Um, I, was, I was standing there looking in Janie's eyes. And my brother uh, is a pastor, and he was conducting the ceremony. And we came to this part in the ceremony where he said, Doug, do you promise to spend the rest of your life loving Janie and only Janie? Can you imagine if I, if I kind of hesitated? Time out, time out. I need to consult with my boys over here. What do, you, what do you guys think? And just imagine if they go, Dude. Offer her 360 days a year. See if she'll take 360. So I come back, okay. How about 360 days out of the year? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be yours and only yours. 360 days. What do you think she's gonna say? Those other five days, man, I am partying. I'm, I'm going to Cabo San Lucas. I'm gonna go on a cruise without you. What do you think she's gonna say? Get lost. She's gonna kick me in the face and in the rear as she walks out. Well, what if I say, okay, that's just too restrictive. All, all, all of the year, 365 days. How about this? How about this? How about I give you the weekends? How about I give you Sundays? One day a week, Janie, that's yours. And, and if you say yes, I'm going to slide this ring on your finger. One day a year, uh, one day a week, 52 weeks, 52 Sundays, I'll give those to you. Or, or wait, 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 more specifically... How about I give you one hour every Sunday, Janie? I do. You think she's going to say that? She's going to walk out, and actually her mama would have beat me up. Well, why do you think that in your life you can only give God one hour a week? Some of you don't even give Him that and expect to grow spiritually. The reason your life is still messed up is because you're not following God. You, you say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll accept some of this other stuff, but, but don't expect me to uh, accept God's Word and His will and all of that garbage. Don't expect me to do that. Well, here's the thing. Show that next picture. Should be formal, cruise formal. It's right the next one below it. That looks a little more recent, doesn't it? That was a month ago on our cruise. That was formal night. Now, here's the thing. 18 years ago, I told Janie, I am going to live my life only for you. I'll go on vacations with you. We'll have children together. We got our little table for two in the corner so that we could just hang out with one another because I love my wife. But I have to recommit to my wife every day. I wear a ring and, you know, I've got the little um, tan line. Thank you. I've got the tan line. I wear my ring as a reminder that I committed my life to Janie. But you know, the reason a lot of marriages end is because one or both people quit committing to each other. 
And so every day for 18 years, I've said to my wife, I choose you. After, I think, our fifth anniversary, I got her one of those little precious moments things and is pointing at the ring and the dude says, I still do. You see, I've got to commit to her over and over and over again. Yes, May 25th, 1991, I said I do. You saw the picture. But here I am 18 years later. The reason we love each other, we like each other, we like doing stuff together, is we recommit to each other every day. And if you're going to be changed from your past, yes, you do a one-time commitment to Christ. When you give your life to Christ, He adopts you. But you've got to commit to His Word as your standard. His will is your purpose. You've got to do that on a daily basis or you're not going to make it. Now, how many of you were in scouting? Let me see your hands. Anybody in scouting? I tried it, and like before they could kick me out, I quit because I was horrible. Um, I was just a problem child and, you know, couldn't, couldn't. I was just, I needed to be beaten. Um, so I didn't make it. But in, in my career as a youth minister, I was able to speak at several Eagle Scout ceremonies. Show that picture of the Eagle Scout, Ashley. And check out, that is some impressive sash, isn't it? Do you know how many merit badges you have to get to become an Eagle Scout? At least 21. Homeboy there has got three rows of 21. I counted the rows. Three, 21 rows of three. That's what I mean. Three rows of 21. You guess the same thing. Merit badges. And that's impressive. And I'm not making fun of I'm impressed by this because you have to do all these things. You have to do merit badges for, among other things, um, first aid, citizenship, personal fitness, emergency pre preparedness, or life-saving, camping and family life, just to mention a few. He's got more than 21, doesn't he? And you have this ceremony and you, you come to celebrate the accomplishments of this young man who had to do all kinds of stuff he has to ha show leadership ability. He has to have a service project that will benefit other people. And man, it is an incredible accomplishment to become an Eagle Scout. And we would celebrate that. But see, I think part of the problem, the reason we're stuck and we're not healed, is because we kind of treat Christianity, Jesus Christ, like He's a merit badge. And I have all these badges in my life. I've got the, the worker badge, my, my job, and I've got possessions, and I've got the friend, and I've got the tree hugger badge because I'm eco-friendly, and I'm green at my house, and I recycle, and I've got this badge, and I've got this badge. And Jesus is one badge among many. He's no more significant or no less significant than any of the other badges that you're wearing. And so you, you're never going to get the power from Him because He says, you've not committed all of your life to me. And we choke on this all thing. I don't understand this all thing. This third choice is all about, I give everything I have of my life to God, and then because I do that, God gives me a deeper life. And see, it doesn't mean that, that all my other badges go away. It just means they're not as prominent. Because I still have this dad badge. I've got two of my children in here. I still have a dad badge, but I'm trying to be a dad in light of who Jesus Christ is. And of course, I mess up, and Jesus Christ says to go admit it. So I go admit it. How humbling is that to walk into your nine-year-old's room and say, I messed up. Will you forgive me? And she jumps up and wraps me around the neck. She says, oh, of course I'll forgive you, Daddy. So I try to be a dad based on my relationship with Jesus Christ. He's all 
and then all my other badges. It's more like the Bible says we're clothed in Christ. We have the mind of Christ. That comes from the inside. And see, I have other badges. I've got the friendship badge, but I don't hide my relationship with Jesus Christ from my friends because it's who I am. He is all. I have possessions that I've gathered. I've got a car and things and toys, but I I don't try to hoard those things so that I can show that I have more than somebody else. I want to share those things. Jesus is not a bonus. He is God. So it's not about me having more badges so that I can prove to myself that I'm worthy. It's about turning all of myself over to Jesus Christ. I commit all of my life and my will to Christ's care and control. That's the final part. So let me just ask you some questions real quickly. Three questions. Here they are. Put those up on the screen. First one. Do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and proved He was God's Son by coming back to life? That's just a yes or no deal. It's not a maybe. Yes or no. Get on one side of the fence or the other. Second question. Do you accept God's free forgiveness for your sins? You gotta admit you're a sinner first and then you say, God offers free. I accept it. I want that. Question three. Are you ready for Christ to be the leader of your life? If you answered yes to those three questions, it's time to step across the line and declare your intentions. So bow your heads for me for just a second. Some of you have never given your life to Christ. You don't even know what I'm talking about. You've never been forgiven for your sins. So here's how you do that. We make it real simple here because I believe Jesus Christ made it real simple. You say, God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. Will you forgive my sins and be the leader of my life? God, I've messed up. Will you forgive me and will you lead me? Just pray that in your mind. If, If there's any question about whether you're in the family of God, pray that in your mind right now. Some of you, you've been doing the Christian thing, but you've been wearing Jesus like a merit badge. He's just one of many things in your life. He's not the most important. And you know it, and you know your life's messed up, and you know that you've been trying things, and you know you've been failing, and you're on this cycle, and and it's like a running on a treadmill. No matter how far you run, no matter how fast you run, you always end up at the same place, but keep doing the same things. You do not have the power to change yourself, or you would have. You desperately need to come back to God and be forgiven and be given the power to heal from the hurts of your past. Here's what you say. God, I'm tired of hurting. And I want you to change me. Don't change the people in my life. God, change me. Father, I pray that you make a difference for all eternity through what's happened today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.